You know, I might have mentioned this once or twice before. Um, you might know that I am and have always been a huge Michael Jordan fan. Um, my dad took me to see Space Jam in 1996 when I was eight years old. Some of you are like doing the math right now, 32. But my dad took me to see that. I remember going to the theater and seeing that, and I was like, this is it. Like, this is life. Like, I don't know what it was. Maybe it's a mixture of like real life with cartoon. I'm like, whoa, my world's combined. But it was an incredible. Now, during the pandemic, uh, you know, The Last Dance came out, and there's kind of be like, the, the, there's kind of like this re-interest in Michael Jordan again. I think there's kind of like the question now, like, he's almost like forgotten, like, obviously LeBron's the GOAT. Now the question of like, who is the GOAT? And we know that Jordan's the goat, and if you don't agree, just I question your theology a little bit. But um, anyways, this was just so impactful for me. Like, I remember just watching that movie, falling in love with him, and he had three more seasons, you know, 96, 97, 98, and like was just obsessed with Jordan. I could never afford Jordans, but I just pretended I had them, you know, and, and for me, it really was life. Like, it changed everything about how I lived from that point. It really did. I know that sounds bizarre, but it was, it's true. I, I got these Michael Jordan uh, Ultimate DVDs. Now, we didn't have YouTube, and that sounds so weird, but we didn't have YouTube. I couldn't, like, go on YouTube and, like, watch clips. Some of you are like, you didn't, I can't even think of life without YouTube. I know. There's something without, you know, before YouTube. We had, like, DVDs. It's crazy. Anyways, I'd watch, like, these DVDs, and I would literally, like, all summer, put them in, and in my living room, you know, try to do what he did, but I couldn't, like, hang in the air. I tried to do the like, classic, like, layups or the things I saw. I would, like, practice them, model them. It was bad. Like, I really, the classic commercials of I, I want to be like Mike, it, that was not just me. I was like, I am, I am Mike. Like, I don't know. I just, you know, then when Kobe came on the scene and Kobe tried to be Michael Jordan, I didn't like him because he actually was really good. I don't know. But it was just, there was a lot going on in my heart. And it's, it's crazy how now, again, with this whole last dance thing and there's been a reinterest in who he is, there's almost like this lifestyle of Jordan and his brand and what that did. It's almost like the way of Michael Jordan. And here's why I'm bringing this up. I truly learned from him. Like, I tried to without my, you know, before even going through puberty, trying to talk like him in a deep voice. I couldn't. But I tried, like, everything. I wanted to model like him. I wanted to learn the way of Jordan. And here's the idea. Jesus is saying, in a similar but different way, learn the way of me. Like, learn from me. Learn my way of living. Learn my way, my lifestyle. So just like we've all had different heroes or mentors or people, men and women we've looked up, looked up to, and maybe you've tried in some ways as you're kind of growing through life, you try to model their behavior, model what they did, you try to take it on, and you take it on in such a way where it truly begins to transform how you think. There are certain authors I read now that I feel like if someone were to ask me a question, I know how like Tim Keller could answer, I know how C.S. Lewis could answer. I feel like I've read them so much that maybe now I think like them in some ways. And this happens when you study or learn under or learn from someone where you go, I've kind of like, I know their approach to these things at, at this point. And here's why I'm bringing this up. When someone today in 2020 says, I'm a Christian, it's hard because I feel like there's a gap between what does that, like, what does that mean now? And I think a survey was done by one group. They pulled, I think, 100,000 people in America, and they, they found out that 77% of them claim to be Christians. 77, 77%. And then another uh, group of people did another poll on that and said they kind of had some more specific questions and found out that 8% truly believed in the gospel of Jesus and practiced the way of Jesus. And, and I think there's a gap between someone, someone saying, I'm a Christian, and someone saying, I'm a follower, I'm a student, I'm a learner of Jesus. So what does it mean to learn from Jesus? You know, how do we truly practice the teachings of Jesus knowing that he, he finished the work of salvation on the cross. There's nothing I can do or add to that. That by God's grace, man, it is finished. I don't have to work for my salvation, but I work from my salvation. And there's a side of this now where I want to practice the teachings and the lifestyle of Jesus, what he said, what he did, what he modeled. And how do we do this? I mean, this is the Great Commission. 
Jesus' like really final words to the disciples were essentially what? We know in Matthew 28, 20, it was go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things I've commanded you. Teaching them to observe all the things I've commanded you. This word observe is almost like be a guardian. It's interesting because it's even more than obey. You, know, you think it's like teach them to obey, absolutely. But not only do you obey them, but you guard them. You, you, you fight for them. You want to pass this on to your kids, you know, your, that next generation, the generation after. That we want to be guardians of the scriptures, guardians of the ways of Jesus, of the teachings of Jesus. And he's saying, this is it. Learn from me, teach the world, me, who I am, what I've done, and my teachings. Go. And there's this great call in all of us. Not for those in ministry or those who work at a church. I mean, there's this call and this burden and this weight on all of us. So what does it mean to learn from Jesus? Because here's what I want to take away and I want you to take away today. I think much of my Christian experience or life for many years was how can I, I know this book, which is a beautiful thing. I think for many years I grew in my theology and understanding of God, but it didn't necessarily mean I grew in my intimacy with Jesus. You know, I don't want to measure someone's spiritual life by, like, how many verses they have memorized. You know, obviously, we want to know the Word of God. We want to hide it in our hearts. There's so much about that. But please don't, don't misunderstand this, that it's not about, and discipleship specifically, discipleship is not about gaining information, but allowing transformation. Following Jesus isn't, how can I gain information about Jesus and know more facts? Like, again, I can spit out to you facts about MJ. I did book, book reports on him. Like, I could tell you facts, but I don't know him. I don't know him. I don't have a relationship with him. And so the idea is like, how do we not just know facts about Jesus, but how do we model and take on his lifestyle, first of all, being with him and learning from him? And how do we model this? Because again, church, I think the great danger, the great danger is we live in the podcast generation where you can listen to anyone and everyone at any time and be, in a sense, we think we're experts on any subject at any point in time, on any matter. And here's what we're seeing is like, we can know a lot. I think what Paul said to the Corinthians, I read this this week, and it just stuck with me. He goes, though you have many teachers, you don't have many fathers. You know, we live in that podcast. Though we have many teachers, do we have many fathers and mothers in the faith who are modeling what it means to follow Jesus? I pray that within our church community, God does something so deep within our lives it leaves from just we have facts about Jesus and information about Jesus, but that leads to transformation. And we see a room over time filled with fathers and mothers of the gospel. That not just teachers, but you're modeling it. You're walking, you're walking through life with people in it. Amen? That we truly, we truly model this out. So let's, let's talk about this. What does it mean to learn from Jesus? This is kind of the big point and focus for us today. Be with him, learn from him. So what does it mean to learn from Jesus? Here's three thoughts that we see in the scriptures about learning from Jesus. Here's the first one, number one. We're going to see, uh, learn the lifestyle of Jesus, learn the lifestyle of Jesus, learn the teachings of Jesus. We'll, we'll talk about that. Uh, learn the cost of following Jesus, which we've gone over a little bit, but learn truly what it means to follow him. And then learn the way of Jesus. And we're going to look at different scriptures that talk about this. So learn the lifestyle, learn the cost, and learn the way of Jesus. So uh, Matthew 11, can we read this one more time? Matthew 11, learn the lifestyle of Jesus. Matthew 11:28. 28. Jesus says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon, upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Learn, learn from me. Learn from me. Learn my teachings. Learn my lifestyle. Learn from me. 
I want to read this to you in the message version, because again, this is, there's a guy named Eugene Peterson who has written a lot of different books that I've been, been encouraged by and blessed by. He's kind of the guy behind the message, and the, the idea has been, um, how do we practice this? So here's how he paraphrases this verse. He says, are you tired, worn out? Are you burned out on religion? Come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. You know, this is truly an invitation to everyone. He says, come to me, all you. All of you who are tired, you're heavy laden, I'll give you rest. So right now, if you are a student and you're tired, if you're a parent and you're tired, if you're an employee and you're tired, if you're a human being and you're tired, I mean, this is just an invitation, come to me. He's saying, let me show you a new way to live life. Let me show you a new way to, to take on these burdens. And there's so, there's so much here, and I do want to like, unpack this. But really what's introduced to us is, is a new way of living. It's a new way of, gonna, we're going to have burdens, we're going to have yokes regardless, we're going to have things we carry, but Jesus says, mine, mine is light. And, and I, be yoked to me. Like, be connected to me. Learn from me. Learn these. And I love the phrase there in the message where he says, the unforced rhythms of grace. You know, I think there's some new rhythms that, that Jesus wants to introduce to our life. Maybe we're, we're looking right now in this moment at our life, and you go, I have some really unhealthy habits or patterns or, ry- or rhythms, or I actually, I'm a really disciplined person, but I re- don't really have spiritual rhythms, spiritual patterns, spiritual habits, spiritual disciplines. And we do want to talk about that because we want to learn these unforced rhythms of grace, meaning not that we have to do these things to be right with God, but because we are right with God, man, we want to just reorder and re- reorient our life and how we do it. And so we want to look at this um, more in-, in depth. So here, what does this mean? Learn from me. I want to say this. Obviously, get to know the teachings and, and just the sayings of Jesus. I mean, when Jesus says, take my yoke, he's using an agrarian metaphor for saying, learn my set of teachings. Learn my way of living. So when I say learn the lifestyle of Jesus, I'm also saying learn the teachings of Jesus. Like, it's important to be familiar with the Sermon on the Mount. It's important to be familiar with Jesus speaking in parables. It's, it's important to look at the teachings and sayings of Jesus, absolutely. I'd say get to know that. But it's important then to model that and to take that on and embody that, not just to know it in an informational way again, but to truly embody that and to take that on. A guy named Dallas Willard, who, who's written a book called Spiritual Disciplines and written many things on this subject, said this. He says, in this truth lies the secret of the easy yoke. The secret involves living as Jesus lived in the entirety of his life, adopting his overall lifestyle. Our mistake is to think that following Jesus consists in loving our enemies, going the second mile, turning the other cheek, suffering patiently and hopefully while living the rest of our lives just as everyone else around us does. It's a strategy bound to fail. You can't just take on a portion of Jesus' teachings. You can't just be like, I like these teachings of Jesus, but not these teachings of Jesus. I'll practice these things, but not these things. It's a strategy bound to fail. We learn his teachings. We learn his lifestyle. We take it all on. Um, you know, it's been said this way. If, if you want to experience the life of Jesus, you have to adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. If you and I want to experience the life of Jesus, man, I mean, he was the one who entered into other people's pain. He was the one who loved everyone and anyone. He's the one who could love and yet speak truth and challenge and ask thought-provoking questions. I mean, Jesus was the one, like, when, if you want the life of Jesus, 
then we have to adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. I mean, think about this practically, right? I was at the doctor on Friday, and they're like, you know, you don't want to hear this. The doctor's like, hey, by the way, Josiah, you're not 18 anymore. And I'm like, oh, what do you mean by that? Basically, get in shape, right? And so I, I had to hear that. And I had to like, do like a normal checkup kind of a thing. And, you know, I've been trying to kind of get back at it. I'm like, oh, yeah, I can't just eat like four burgers and just kind of think all like way the same. Like I could at 17 when I was in the gym eight hours a day, but I just can't do that anymore. So I needed to hear that. And I think about it. I've been trying to go to the gym a little bit more, and I, I see those like, you know, I don't know. The people like the CrossFitters, right? And you see their energy. And you just see like, I'm like slowing down on machine. Like, they're going so hard. I'm like, I want that. Like, I really want that. You know, I want the energy. I want to play basketball with my kids in my 40s. Like, I, I want to be able to be in a men's league with my son when I'm in my 40s or 50s. Like, I, I would love that. So here's the idea. If I want that, I need to adopt that lifestyle. And that's where I'm like, mm, this gets tough. Like, I want what they have. I want to feel that way. I want to look that way. I want that. But do I want to take on the lifestyle? Like, for me, like, I don't know if I want to wake up at 5 a.m. and without eating just go for a run. Like, I don't know if I want that. I don't, I don't know if I want to eat, like, 15 eggs a day or whatever it is. Like, sometimes I think about, I'm like, I have to have coffee, though, to start my day. And you can't have coffee and go for a run. Like, everyone knows that. So I can't. And I'm, like, trying to, like, reason things in my mind, which is just terrible. Like, I want the life that they have, but I don't want the lifestyle. And sooner or later, I don't know what happens, just think about this even spiritually. You go, there's a disconnect, like, I want this, but that means I'm going to have to sooner or later take on the lifestyle. We, we want to be like Jesus. Sooner or later, we have to take on the lifestyle of Jesus. Like, we want, we want to experience where there's just authority and power and love and healing and just God working and moving. And we look at the life of Jesus and go, that is beautiful. And he says, he tells us, which we'll look at next week, greater things you will do than these. And we hear that and we go, okay, well, I want that. But how do I get that? And, and really, Jesus says, learn from me. Like, learn the teachings, the sayings, learn my lifestyle, what, what he did. There, there comes a point in time we have to press into this and say, I want to learn the teachings the way of Jesus. You know, I, I forget how it's exactly said, but, you know, in the business world, they kind of use the term of, like, your system is perfectly designed to give you the results that you're getting. Maybe you've like heard that. So if you're getting bad results, you're like, why isn't our business working? Well, your system is perfectly designed to give you the results you're getting. And we think about this in discipleship, like whatever it is you're getting right now from following Jesus, the system, your, your habits, your rituals, your routine, your lifestyle is perfectly designed to give you what you're getting. Now, obviously, there's outside circumstances, there's things that can affect that, but really consider this. If you go, man, I love more peace in my life, I love more, just less anxiety. I would love to be able to have relationships with people from all different backgrounds, all people groups. I'd love to be able to invite the lost into my house. I'd love to be better at evangelism. And you're going, okay, well, this, what is your practices and habits and routines? What does that look like? Because it's designed perfectly to give you the results you're getting. So here's the point. Maybe change your system. Maybe change your habits. Maybe, maybe change that. And think about this in that spiritual term. We're saying, I need to adopt a new lifestyle. So think about it in this way. Jesus says, take my yoke. Now, I do think about this. I'll read these verses to my son, and it's, I'm trying to think of, like, how do you explain? I can't even explain this to adults half the time, let alone my son. I'm like, uh, yoke, you know? So, you know, you know, I think we'll throw up a picture just so you can see it. You know what a yoke was, right? It's just whether it's like a metal bar placed on the, around an oxen's neck or head. And, and the idea was in Jesus' day, a lot of times they would have an ox that was well-trained, very strong, that could listen to the commands of its master, and they'd put up with a young, a young bull in a sense, like a young, excited, maybe would want to veer off or not be focused, and they'd try to match them up to be like, learn from the steady, mature, strong, faithful, consistent ox. Jesus says, learn from me. Now, this is really interesting, because if you ever thought about this saying and go, man, Jesus says my burden is light, but it still sounds like a burden. Or like, take my yoke upon you. You're like, I don't know if I want a yoke. Like, take my yoke, like you put this thing around my neck, like that still sounds, can he just remove the yoke completely? 
You know, here's what one author said about this idea or this thought. Listen to this. Uh, Frederick Dale Bruner said, a yoke is a work instrument. Thus, when Jesus offers a yoke, he offers what he might think tired workers need least. They need a mattress or vacation, not a yoke. But Jesus realizes that the most restful gift he can give the tired is a new way to carry life. He says, a fresh way to bear responsibilities. Realism sees that life is a succession of burdens. We cannot get away from them. Thus, instead of of offering escape, Jesus offers equipment. Jesus means that the obedience to his sermon on the mount, his yoke, will develop us in a balanced and a way of carrying life that will give more rest than the way we have been living. Here's why I love this idea, which is he's not offering escapism. He goes, realism realizes life's going to constantly have burdens. Like he's not just saying, I'm going to give you an escape to all problems. We do live in a time and in a moment where in a sense people just want escapism. How can I not be in debt? Okay, pay this off. How can I not be in this situation? Okay, help me get the... Like, we just want escapism. We're saying, listen, life is... Realism says the opposite. You're going to have a succession of burdens. But Jesus offers a new way of living, a new way of handling that, a new way of carrying that. A way where you go, this isn't as much as a burden as it once was. Because you're going to have burdens. But he offers you a new way of living and a new way of carrying it. And this is the idea. You know, I feel like a lot has been written about this in this year specifically, over the last couple of years. Maybe you've seen a book, a guy named John Mark Comer wrote a book called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. There's another book that came out recently on hurry. And, you know, 2020 was kind of like we were all forced to try to unhurry. I don't know about you, though, but it almost felt like I got busier with the pandemic like transitioning a lot of different things. It didn't feel like less. It almost felt like more. And I feel like the Lord has been trying to point me to and remind me of just the way of Jesus, which is you don't see Jesus ever rushed. Do you ever see Jesus like, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. Like you don't ever see Jesus like, okay, yeah, yeah. Like you just see Jesus as approachable. You see Jesus in this way where people wanted to go to him, where he would stop. He was going one way, but he would stop to engage with someone and meet their need, and he didn't view it as a burden or an annoyance, or like, hey, don't you know that I'm a really important person? I have a lot, I mean, I am Jesus, and like my time here on earth is limited, I don't know. Like you just see Jesus as a super approachable, super loving, super patient, just at rest, and yet he had a full schedule. It's like he was lazy, he had a very full schedule, but it was like this intentionality of living. That he also allowed moments, even though he had a schedule or he had things to do or I need to go through Samaria, he had things that he needed to do or wanted to do, but he still allowed those times where people can kind of just interrupt. And I think we also need those holy interruptions in our life where we're driving, we're in a hurry and we see someone off the side of the road and God's like, speak to them, pull over. And you're like, I just cannot do that. Don't you know what I have to do right now? And we have those moments where God's like, I want to just give you just margin in your life for those holy moments, those holy interactions with people. And the way of Jesus looks like a way of rest. And it just looks like a change of pace. Like, guys, there is something about this where I think the Lord is calling all of us to slow down. You know, I don't know if you ever get those reports on your phone that, like, show you your activity. Like, you were on the phone, like, 55 hours this week. You're like, oh, my gosh. Like, I don't know if you ever see that. Or, like, it's up 185%. And you're like, you start to panic a little bit, and then you check your phone more for some reason. Uh, we have these things where, like, it just, we're, like, in a weird spot. We're in a weird moment. You know, it is a very bizarre time to live in. I, I do think about that. Ronald Roldheiser, uh, another author, said this. We are distracting ourselves into spiritual oblivion. Pathological busyness, distraction, and restlessness are major blocks today within our spiritual lives. We are, again, distracting ourselves into spiritual oblivion. You know, it is funny, because I think about this for, for our son. We did like a road trip, and you know, to avoid sometimes the tantrums or chaos, we're like, just take this like, iPad and watch your shows. 
And then my wife were talking about, like, should we do that? Should we not do that? I don't know. Like, we kind of want peace, but is it worth it? Like, is this good in the long run? It might be good in the short run. And we're having those conversations, and maybe if you're a parent, you kind of know we're talking about, like, I think this is good right now, but is it good forever? I don't know. And we're trying to have these dialogues, and it is interesting, because right now, like, the next generation coming up, like, I remember just sitting in the checkout line with my mom, like, having, I didn't have a phone to check. Just like look at the magazines. I just remember like I remember like having times of like driving. Where, like again, this was like I remember having the classic Game Boy, where it's just A, B, and you play Tetris. Anyways, but that was like it. Like I remember just looking out the window, thinking like I don't have much to do. And like there's been times, even at a young age, I remember walking to the Sullivan by my house, like a mile away, and just I didn't have a phone to look at. I'm not gonna bring like a CD player with me. I just remember like walking and thinking and contemplating. And I, I will say this: even at a young age, God has used those moments to develop prayer in my life. And I think that the constant busyness and distractions—it's interesting. We're almost like losing those moments where we can meet with God because of the busyness. We're losing those moments where the Holy Spirit wants, when we're driving and we want to turn on, on music, where we want to check our phone every stoplight, and the Holy Spirit's like, just speak, just speak, just talk to me, just listen, just be still. And we're missing those moments. And I think something's happening where God's trying to remind us as, a, as individuals and as a people to like slow that pace down. Give room for the Spirit to speak. Not that it's bad to always check your phone, or not always, not as bad to check your phone once in a while. Not that it's bad to like have those things, but as much as how do we realize, man, this has a vice on me, this is a hole on me, I need to set this aside. That at 9 p.m. or 10 p.m., I'm just gonna put this away and not even look at it. That whatever it is, I think we gotta create those and implement those into our life to give moments where the God can speak to us, where the Holy Spirit can meet with us. You know, there's this author, her name's really Haith, uh, Haley Ruth Barton, and she had a book called Spiritual Rhythms that I really enjoyed. She wrote an article, and she said, there's 10 signs, so 10 signs from Ruth Haley Barton, that may, that may be suffering, that you may be suffering from hurried sickness. So 10 signs that you might be suffering from hurried sickness. What is this? Irritability? So me right now are like irritated I just said that. Um, hypersensitivity, restlessness, compulsive overworking, emotional numbness, escapist behaviors, alcohol, food, Netflix, <laughs> disconnected from identity and calling, hoarding energy, not able to attend to human needs, slippage in our spiritual practice. Even then, I kind of went th through these incredibly quick. That's if you take some time and you can look at this and you, and you go, man, am I four out of 10, nine out of 10? Like, I mean, just look and go, man, I, there's this irritability recently. You know, when you're, when you're married, it's easy to have your spouse go, hey, I love you, but why are you so irritated? Why are you on edge? Or it's, it's easy to have those moments where you go, this, there's just something in me that right now that's not at peace. And just look at those as little signs where God's trying to get your attention saying, learn the way of Jesus. Where God's trying to wake us up and saying, practice those, those rhythms of grace. Those rhythms were, they're not, spiritual disciplines are not there to be a burden for you or to you. They're there to free you up so you can think more clearly, so you can work out of rest, so you can get your, your job done or responsibilities done from a place of strength, not you're just, you're just burned out. Even serving, even doing things for Jesus and the church, the idea is like, guys, we want to play the long game. How do we do this for 30, 40, 50 years? How do we do this for our kids and our grandkids? And how does this carry on after us? How do we really have healthy rhythms and routines and habits? And the point is we've got to model them now and seek after them now. And they're not there to be a burden, man. God's commands are not to be a burden. They're there to be freeing for us. And we're there to take them on in this way. So Jesus, again, I want to read that phrase. He says, learn from me, I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. I think the way things are approached in life right now, it's almost like we're treated like a machine. Like we're almost treated like getting certain things done or treated in such a way that kind of feels like we're constantly being advertised to or constantly trying to be sold something to us. And, and, and here's the thing, we're not a machine, we're a soul. And Jesus is saying, just learn, learn from me. Find rest for your souls. 
Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I think of what it says about Jesus when it says in Luke chapter 5, verse 16, it says Jesus often withdrew into the wilderness and prayed. He often, he often got away and goes, I need to pray. He did a lot of ministry. In the three years of ministry we see from Jesus in the Gospels, I mean, he did a lot. Even John says, all the sayings, all the teachings of Jesus cannot be held up in all the books of the world. John's like, there's so much this guy said and did in three years. But he also often withdrew and prayed. And this is the unforced rhythms of grace we're talking about. This is the easy yoke we're talking about. It's just funny how the enemy, I think, has done this in my life and in my heart at many times in my spiritual journey to think that prayer is a burden, to think that I should pray. Well, it's probably good to pray. I need to pray, but not like I can't wait to pray. Getting to the place where like, I, I look forward to praying because that's where I get refueled. And I just think the enemies may have spun prayer, spun certain disciplines to look negative for us, or that's just religious, man. And rather than just saying, no, that, that's a way for God to give us freedom and healing. Amen? That we would practice the unforced rhythms of grace. So here's the first thing. Learn the lifestyle of Jesus. Learn from him. Hey, by the way, this takes a lifetime. This is not like, all right, we're gonna take this class and you're, you're done, right? You're good. We'll take class number two. Like, there's a side of this where we're gonna change this up every year and this will be a whole lifestyle. This will be a whole way of living. Number two is this. Uh, learn the cost of following Jesus. Learn the cost of following Jesus. Um, I asked you to turn to Luke 9, but we'll throw it up here if you can't or didn't. But Luke chapter 9, verse 23, Jesus said this. He said to them all, if anyone desires to come after me, again, just that phrase, if you desire to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and is himself destroyed or lost? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in his own glory and in his Father's and of the holy angels. All right, Jesus said this at like the peak of his ministry. Like imagine like the crowds, the multitudes, thousands are following him. And a lot of times this is when Jesus would say the really hard thing. It's almost like he'd intentionally say something hard to like thin out the crowds. I mean, even eventually speaking in parables, he's like, why, why are you doing that? I, I want to know who's really in this. Like, I want to know who's really a part of this. And here's when Jesus goes, listen, uh, if you want to come after me, here's what it's going to look like. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me, which sounds redundant. The point is the emphasis is on following him, which will look like denial of self, and taking up your cross, which is d death of self. Now, this is just an interesting thing. Learning the ways of Jesus is hard for us because it means denial of self and death to self. Now, think about this. We, are, we live in the most, like, and I know this is maybe overused sometimes, but like, we are that selfie generation. Like, we are all about ourselves. Like, we love ourselves. I just need some me time, man. I was trying to write down some slogans or things people say. Um, when people just say, be true to yourself, or this one, treat yourself. I love that one. Like, you do you, man. Um, and the other ones are, don't let anybody tell you what to do. I mean, we just live in a generation that's all about self. That's about me. It's about my fulfillment. If this makes me happy, do it. I mean, we don't use this word hedonism anymore, but that's essentially it. It's like, if this just brings you pleasure, don't let anyone stop you from getting your pleasure. You do you. Treat yourself. Like, we have these little slogans we live by that become like Bible verses to us. Like, we didn't treat yourself in the Bible. Like, I'm pretty sure it's there. Like, and then we're like, no, Jesus says, deny yourself. Like, take up your cross. We, we hear that and we go, okay. They would understand. Imagine living 2,000 years ago in Jerusalem, in Roman-occupied Jerusalem, and you would see someone walking down the road bearing a cross. Uh, that just means that they're on their way to die. Like, if Jesus says, take up your cross, and you're like, oh yeah, we just saw another guy the other day taking up his cross. What are you saying, Jesus? He's like, you obviously know what I'm saying. I'm saying die. Die to yourself. Like, you, when we learn from Jesus, can I tell you a big part of what I've seen in discipleship is people have to almost unlearn things. 
right? When you learn from Jesus, you have to deconstruct a lot of things. So there comes a point in time you come to the scriptures and you go, I believe this personally. This is my view of sex and identity of, of purity. This is my view of marriage. This is my view of fill in the blank, whatever the topic is. And then you come to the scriptures and what people a lot of times will do is, does the Bible affirm my position? And the hard thing is you're going to come to some passages, and listen, you can do spiritual gymnastics all day long and, and make something fit your perspective. You can do that. You can probably find an author to affirm you on anything and everything. But if you come to the scriptures honestly and thoughtfully and carefully and say, Jesus, not my will, but your will be done. Jesus, I have certain views. I've grown up with treat yourself my whole life. Okay. But then you come to the scriptures and you read deny yourself and you read about the way of Jesus and you go, okay, this is going to be different. I'm going to say this, God, and this is challenging for me. I, I love this. And I've brought this up, but the Bible is an equal opportunity offender. Like, meaning it offends everyone and any, anyone. It doesn't just say, hey, this people group, you need to repent. It, it calls out every idol. Every idol my heart creates, every desire my heart pursues, it calls out everything and anything, man. It's not like it's just going to call it this side or that side. It's going to call it everyone and say, um, you're, those things that you're pursuing after are, are good things that maybe now become God things and you need to repent of those things. It's now taking the place of authority and weight in your life. Maybe it's even good, but it's taking the place of Jesus. Maybe it's even a, a, a valuable thing, but it's just overstepped from being a good thing to a God thing. And I'm just trying to get at is, listen, when you follow Jesus, a lot of it is unlearning things. A lot of it is deconstructing things. A lot of it, at times when I spend time with people one-on-one, -on -one, I'll hear their belief, I'll hear their thought, and I'll hear their pain, I'll hear their trouble, and I have to ask a question going, are you willing to be wrong? Like, are you willing to approach Scripture and say, maybe I'm wrong in this view? Are you willing to accept the fact that maybe you're approaching a topic where you, this is a matter of fact, and you're an expert in this because you saw a few different Instagram videos, and now I'm an expert, and maybe you have to ask yourself, like, maybe, are you, are you wrong? And does the way of Jesus look differently? Where God will challenge us to be more inclusive, more loving, more embracing the other, and at the same time have this way of living that will look separate and different from the world. And it's crazy that those two things can coexist, that we as Christians can love someone completely different and also disagree with their lifestyle, and that's okay. And I feel like the world right now can't do both. We can say, I love you deeply. I'll, I would like die for you. Literally, I would do anything. Like the gospel tells me to love you in a sacrificial, just a, in an <laughs> unconditional way. And I can still disagree with you. And that's still love. And I'm just saying the way of Jesus is so different. It's going to challenge all of us in different ways. Maybe the way of Jesus has been challenging you in, in your love and your view of others. Maybe the way of Jesus has been challenging you of your view of name the topic. Jesus says, deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. And here's like the paradox in that statement. He's if anyone wants to find his life, let him lose it. If anyone wants to save their life, let him lose it. I mean, this is such like a bizarre, think about that, that sentence for a second. It's saying, the more you cling to your life, the more it's going to slip from your fingers. The more you obsess over you and your needs and your wants, the less likely you're going to have that. The more you're pursuing those things that will make you happy, it's probably going to make you more unhappy. If you really want to find your life, lose it. Find it in Christ. He's saying, I'm going to offer you a whole new identity, a whole new way of living, a whole new way of thinking. Hey, has this way been working? Okay, so you got to be willing to lose it to find it. you got to be willing to find it ultimately in Jesus, which means you might give up a lot. But you know what? You will truly find that identity, that meaning, that purpose, that value that God has always intended for you. But you might have to give up a lot. You might have to lose a lot. Listen, there's a cost to following Jesus, but I've been thinking about this a lot more recently. There's actually a bigger cost, obviously, to not following Jesus. There's a cost to following Jesus, absolutely. But I would argue there's a greater cost to not following Jesus. 
And we're saying, listen, you're gonna unlearn some things, deconstruct some things, process it with others, let it be a safe place. I think the church has failed at creating safe places. They're saying, you can ask hard questions, you can disagree, let's process that with you. We're not gonna go straight to like jab you with the sword of the Bible. We're actually gonna listen for a while and pray for you and understand that sanctification is a long process. It takes a long time. That God is obviously still working out a lot of things in me. Be patient with me. I'm gonna show mercy because I need mercy. And I think we're gonna try to live this way out of Jesus in, in this way, in this community, in this church. And there's a cost to it but there's a greater cost to not following him. You know, the question that Jesus offers, and I love that Jesus doesn't just say, deny yourself, take up your cross. He also paints a big picture. He's saying, what, what profits a man if he gains the whole world and just loses his soul? Who cares if you get everything your heart has ever wanted, but you lost who you were in the process, or you're lost eternally in the process, or truly, what I think he's saying is both. You've lost your soul. You've, you've missed out on God's calling, God's purpose, God's meaning, and you've missed out on so much more even than that. But he goes, what profits if you gained everything and you lost your soul. And you know what's crazy to me is people give up their soul for a lot less than the whole world. He's like, even if you gain the whole world, it's not worth losing your soul. And I read that and I go, wow, that's so true. And yet I see all the time people give up their soul for a lot less than the whole world. Just for a small fragment of the world, they'll give up their soul for it. And you go, what is the profit of that? What happens if you gain everything you ever wanted, but still in the process you were lost? In the process you don't feel, everything you're searching for is still not found. And so listen, we need to learn the cost of following Jesus. That might include unlearning some things, deconstructing some things, processing that with others. That might mean um, just the death of self, denial of self, saying what the world's slogans of nothing should stand in the way of what I want. Or if I don't get what I want, it's obviously oppression. If I don't get what I want, I can't be happy. And saying, no, I'm not going to take on those lies anymore. Actually, the worst thing you could give someone is what they want. And you see sometimes within ch children, again, if I give my son everything he wanted, I mean, we'd be terrible parents and he'd be a monster. There's a side of it where you go, um, it's not, not getting what you want is not oppression, it's actually love. I love you so much, I cannot give you this, Micah, because if I give you this, you're gonna turn into just a terrible person. So I love you, buddy. I know it doesn't feel like love right now. And, and there's a side of this where we, we gotta take on the cost of following Jesus. So listen, learn the lifestyle of Jesus, man. It is a way of rest. It is, it, we're gonna have burdens regardless, but it's a way of rest in those midst of those burdens. Hey, learn the cost of following Jesus. It's a lot of denial, man. It's a lot of death to self. It's painful. Jesus said daily. I mean, that word daily, like, okay, there's gonna be like, okay, how am I gonna die to myself today? Someone makes a, a comment to me, how do I go, God bless you? Like, it's just gonna be one of those things where like, I'm gonna die to myself a lot, a lot throughout the day. And number three is this, let's learn the way of Jesus, which Jesus describes in Matthew 7. So what is the way of Jesus? It's Matthew 7, and maybe you're close to it, so you can turn a few pages over. But if you would look at Matthew 7, verse 13 and 14, Matthew 7, verse 13 and 14, and Jesus describes this. And I want to get into this. This is so beautiful. So Matthew 7, verse 13, let's read that. Jesus says, enter by the narrow gate. Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go and buy it. Because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. So learn the way of Jesus. He says it's narrow and it's difficult. Now, just hear me out really quick. Maybe you've heard this. I've heard this a lot. Christianity is way too narrow. Christians are just a bunch of bigots. They're hateful. They're, they don't, they, they're not welcome. They're not inclusive. And a lot of times, we will be defined as narrow. And, and here's this. There's actually, I think, two sides of this. In some ways, I agree with them. I'm going, yeah, like, it is, it is narrow. It is really narrow. You know, it almost seems like you guys are way too narrow-minded. And I go, yeah, I can't, I can't disagree with that. The gospel is incredibly exclusive. It's only through Jesus. But can I share the good news? It's also incredibly inclusive. It's available to all. 
I love that it's exclusive. It's only through the person of Jesus, but it's inclusive. Anyone, come, anyone. It doesn't matter who you are, what you've done, what your background is, how much you've sinned. It doesn't matter if you grew up in this and walked, it does not matter. Come, come to me, all those who are weary. It's exclusive, absolutely, but it's inclusive. It's available to everyone and anyone. Now, here's what I love about this. He says, enter by the narrow gate. Enter by the narrow gate. Now, here's what I want to point out. If you've noticed, this is really interesting to me. Broad is the way that leads to destruction. So think about it this way. Broad, spacious is the way that leads to death or narrowness. Narrow is the way that leads to life. So spacious is the way that leads to being crushed, and narrow or being crushed is the way that leads to spaciousness. It's incredible to me because some things on the outside that look incredibly spacious, that look incredibly, you know, liberating. Some of those things that look like, wow, that looks amazing on the outside, but when you get involved, you go, man, it leads to death. For some reason, we define freedom of do, do anything you want whenever you want. It seems incredibly spacious, but when you get in that way of living, man, that leads to death. Do anything you want, whenever you want, with whoever you want. And we go, we were not meant for that. So freedom is not a, a regardless or remove all limitations. It's getting the right limitations. So I think about this, narrow is the way that leads to life. You know, I love in, in C.S. Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia, you know, when they're going through the um, dresser or whatever, they're, they're walking through it. It's just like this narrow little path that leads to this whole new world. It leads to this spacious, beautiful new world. There's creativity. There's just things happening. I just love the thought of like, man, through this closed thing leads to something incredibly open. Here's the point. You think about maybe even when it comes to like, say, playing music. You know, those who are the most disciplined, those who just labor day after day after day after day, and they, they did their routines, they did the things daily, there comes a point in time they're so disciplined that, man, they can do whatever they want on the piano. Like, they can play whatever they want, they can do whatever they want. You go, wow, you were really, like, strict in your discipline, but you're, like, so free to do anything on the piano. Here's the thing. I can come to a piano right now, but I'm not going to do that. Um, I can come to the piano right now, and I can, I'm incredibly free, man. I can do anything, but it won't sound good. It'll be awful. It'll be, like, clanging cymbals. It'll be like, it would be, it'd be horrible. It'd be absolutely horrible. But I'm free, man. I'm free to do what I want. But it didn't lead to life. It leads to death to your ears. And, and the point of, of this, and think about this, is, man, when you take on the right limitations, it truly can lead to a freedom you never maybe would have experienced otherwise. I've dealt with, I, I did a memorial for someone on Friday who just dealt with addiction and passed away of alcoholism. He went lost for like a month or two. They found his body. We did his, we did his memorial like four months later. It was sad the way it played out. And just listening to his family and friends and like, oh, he almost, you know, he's trying to get out of it. And, you, and it's hard because he, like, man, he just liked to be free. He just liked to be free. You know, he just liked to do his own thing. And you're like, yeah, and it led to a death where no one even knew he was dead for over a month. And this freedom led to so much pain and suffering and a life of just addiction. And that's that freedom. Like, and I get it. I get that there's a side of this we got to embrace where you go, realizing following Jesus means I'm going to say no to a lot of things, but it's going to truly bring me a lot more freedom. I'm going to say no to a lot of things along the journey, man, but I'll experience a freedom I never could have had otherwise. See, the way of Jesus, he says, is difficult and it's narrow. And let me say this, but I, I, here's what I love. Can we look at, notice how Jesus words this? Because look at verse 14 one more time. It says, narrow is the gate and difficult is the way. Narrow is the gate and difficult is the way. Narrow is the gate and difficult is the way. I don't know if you caught this yet, but he says, here's the gate, then the way. Narrow is the gate, difficult is the way. It's not the way and then the gate. Meaning religion says, do these things, and if you're really good, you can one day enter in our gate. With Jesus is enter the gate. The gate comes first. That salvation is completely free. It's by the person of Jesus, man. You can never work your way. I can never work my way to heaven. Thank God he doesn't say do these five things or ten things. Then one day, if you're really good at it, I'll let you into heaven. Thank God the gate comes before the way. 
thank you, Jesus, there's a gate before the way. Seriously, thank you, God. That first comes the gate, and then difficult is the way. The way is difficult, but it comes after the gate. It comes after what Jesus has done for us, that he is the gate, he's the way, he's the door, he's the truth, he's the life. Every illustration he's used about being a door, the way, man, Jesus is that gate, and then comes the difficult way. And it's not reversed. Like religion says, do the difficult way, then maybe you'll get the gate. Maybe, if you're really good. Jesus offers us something completely different. It's free. It's free. But discipleship, like we mentioned last week, will cost us everything. Following Jesus is completely free. For following Jesus, believing in Jesus is completely free, but following him will cost us everything. I love what um, Bonhoeffer said about this. He says, when Jesus calls a man or woman to him, he he bids him to come and die. When Jesus says, come follow me, he's basically said, do you want to die? Because I get why this is not a popular sermon. I get why this is not a popular teaching. I get why Jesus uses to thin out the crowds. As soon as you teach on Luke 9 or, or Matthew 11, as soon as you teach on some of these passages, the idea is like, who's in? Like, it's like, ah, like, I get it, I get it. Like, it's not one of those, like, most desirable things, but when you really go, go to the way of Jesus and you say, but Jesus, I've been doing my way, and it's not led to that burden being light. It's not, it's not led to the easy yoke. It's actually led to a lot of frustration and busyness and craziness and things in my life that are now out of control. And Jesus is saying, learn from me. Learn the way of Jesus. Take on the way of Jesus. Embrace the way of Jesus. Amen? His lifestyle, his teachings, denying self, the way is narrow, it's difficult, but it leads to life. That's the way of Jesus, the difficult way which leads to life. And engage in that conversation and push back, ask questions. We want, to, we want this to be a place where you can be like, okay, explain that more, meet with other leaders here and like voice your frustration. I'm just very thankful that Jesus allowed the disciples, he gave them room to grow, he gave them room to argue about who's the greatest, he gave them room to, be, to not show compassion, to say, let's call down fire from, some, you know, from heaven and just destroy Samaria. Jesus gave them room to say some terrible things and be very narrow, and you know what? There's room and grace for them to grow and become the most loving humans on earth that gave their lives for the truth of the gospel. And so there's room to grow, there's room to fail here. There's room as we follow Jesus and know that you and I will both make mistakes, but the hope is that we have that community around us to say, listen, let's keep going. The way of Jesus is better. The way of Jesus is greater. The way of Jesus leads to life. You're following your way right now and it's leading to death. The way of Jesus will lead to life. Amen? Before we end, describe this one more time. And here's why I want to point this out. This is really something we're going to try to implement more in 2021. But our hope from this is to get the things in place and in order now so we're ready for some of these things in 2021. So, if you go to page four, we looked at page three last week, be with Jesus. Page four is learn from Jesus. Here's the thing I want to be really clear in this process. Be with Jesus, learn from Jesus, do what Jesus did. This middle section of learn from Jesus will probably change every year. We might keep some things here, but it probably will change. We'll add things, take away things, realizing that there's different seasons of life for things, meaning we might need to grow in relationships. We might need to grow in, in re- reconciliation. We might need to grow in certain things. And there'll be a season for that. And there might be other seasons we go, we need to grow in some other things. So here's some things from uh, Learn From Jesus. If you just want to go down to page 10, um, here's some things we're going to be talking about for our church community next year that I just want you to be aware of. Uh, One of those things is Alpha. Alpha is basically a way for the church to create a safe place or really a place where anyone from any background, any belief, any way they identify themselves, anything to say, just come and let's talk about the big questions of life. You know, again, we talked about distractions and being taken away from the big questions of life. We're trying to say, hey, everyone has these questions that haunt them. At the memorial, I'm talking to people like, we're all trying to pretend like death doesn't exist, and then they're face to face with death, and they're, you know, you could see that decision in their eyes, like, what do I do with this? Here's the thing. We want to give alphas a way for us to say, listen, we're going to have food, we're going to have a little talk, we're going to have leaders at tables and saying, talk, share frustrations. What do you think will happen? Like just big questions about life. So we're actually going to do a training, I think in October, and then start this uh, in the spring of next year. 
our hope is that our church community, like know, know this, we're going to double down on Alpha, meaning um, we want everyone and someone to be involved in this. Please do not come to Alpha. If you're a follower of Jesus, we'd say, don't come to Alpha unless you're bringing someone uh, in with you. Like, don't come. We, don't, we want this to be a place for people who don't believe in God, don't know God, wrestling with the big questions of life. This is a perfect way, I think, I'm thinking for my neighbors, people you might work with, that you say, listen, we all have questions about life, why don't you just come to Alpha? Um, we're trying to raise up different leaders, people who lead the discussion, people who lead the table, people who create a friendly and warm environment, make, people who make the food. We're trying to create like a team of people around this. So Silver's gonna be in the back. We're gonna have a table. And if you go, I would like to pray for Alpha. We have a prayer team just for Alpha. Uh, I would like to be a hospitality and like make food. You can do that. I'd like to be at the table and just let people talk and I wanna listen. You can do that. I wanna leave from the stage and share some things on the talk. You can do that. We're gonna try to create different just roles in, within Alpha. So know that this is gonna be a big part of like our evangelism arm of the church, we would say, you know, invite people into your groups, invite people into Alpha, maybe even before Sunday. And they go, hey, this is cool. I have more questions. Come to Sunday. Like we would just love for people to initiate with Alpha. Next is the Exchange 101, which is simply, what is the role of a local church? What is our vision, our values, our beliefs? Uh, this is gonna be a four-week thing we're gonna do like twice a year. And we just wanna answer, so like, what is the church and where do you fit in in the local body of Christ? And what does this look like? We all have a role to play. What does this look like? Next, we're gonna do something called Emotionally Healthy Relationships. This is gonna be the, uh, the summer of next year. We wanna like focus not just on, it's not just marriages. It might just be, man, me and my parent, me and a sibling, me and a friend. How come every person I ever get close to, I kind of eventually shut myself off or I become toxic or I push them away. Um, we're gonna dive into what emotionally healthy relationships look like. Pete Scazzaro is a pastor who uh, I just really enjoy. He focuses a lot on your emotional and spiritual health. It's been life-changing for me over the last five years. I cannot stress this enough. My wife and I are gonna do it first and then we're gonna do this in the spring of next year. We're gonna invite some other leaders to help us lead this. This might be in homes, this might be in a place. We don't know yet because we don't have really either. So we're just gonna pray uh, for this space in that way. Um, next, something we're already doing but wanna make you aware is this financial peace. We wanna steward the resources God has given us. Um, whenever I do premarital counseling, I notice that a big topic is money. How do we spend money? Um, budgeting, different things. I'd be like, you know what? You need fin financial peace. Just take it, just walk through it. So we have a couple in our church who leads that. You know Mike, he's an elder here. He's gonna lead that and his wife's gonna lead that and I cannot speak highly enough of financial peace. I took it twice. I probably need to get three times. Uh, the last thing is this, <clears throat> leadership development. This is really cool. This last year, we did this with a group of 10 guys, really, and we just went from February through September. We just finished. Uh, we do six months of these, these different teachings. So we did two months of lead self, two months of lead others, two months of lead leaders. Um, we're going to do that again next year. Uh, this year might look a little different. We're going to take like, applications. We're also going to have this for women. We have a woman leader of our church who's going to help lead this for, for women. So we're going to have a, a leadership development class for men and for women, which will be one for men, one for women. Um, this was awesome. Uh, the guys had to read three books. They had a lot of homework to do. This is not for the faint of heart. It takes a lot of work. Um, so those are some things. It's not everything. There's some things I wanted to put on this that I'm like, we just don't have the leaders to do this right now. We just don't have the capacity to do this right now. Um, this will change and morph over the years, hopefully. Maybe some will stay, maybe some won't. This is the part of learning from Jesus. We're going, as we follow the teachings and ways of Jesus, when it comes to stewarding resources, when it comes to relationships, when it comes to leading other people, we want to do it like Jesus. So, Want to make you guys aware of that. I wanted to kind of present that to you. We're going to close our time in just a second with a worship because we don't want to just hear the word and walk away and be like, that was good facts or information. We want to be transformed by it. So I'm going to say this as we worship, say, Holy Spirit, where do you want me in this? How do you want me involved? 
hey, I heard the church is moving to two services. Which one can I serve at, Lord? How can I be a part of that way? Um, how can I be a part in, in leadership development or alpha? Or how can I, and what's my role in this? So I'm going to ask that as we worship, that you sing, that you pray, that you be quiet, whatever you want to do, just let the Lord speak to you and say, Lord, show me how I can be transformed by the teachings of you, Jesus. Cool? Can we do that? We're going to give place and time for the Spirit to move, to work, to heal. Why don't you bow your heads and close your eyes? We're going to pray, and uh, we'll close out with one worship song. Father, we thank you. We thank you for who you are, that you've given us your best. You've given us your son. Jesus, we thank you that you've given us this great call to follow you, that Jesus, if we hear your voice, that right now we would not deny that, Jesus, that we would no longer dismiss the voice of God saying, I love you, follow me, take up your cross, that Jesus, we would invite this new way of living. God, God I know I am, we're tired, we need rest, that Jesus, we want to learn your, your lifestyle and embrace your ways, that it is difficult, but Jesus, it is worth, it leads to life, it's just so worth it. So God, I just ask as we worship, as we sing, that we would give you space to transform our lives. That again, this would not be about new things happening or new information, but Jesus, let this lead to transformation and change. God, I just pray for the 11th, for wisdom for that. I want to pray for the school, Quietwaters Elementary. God, would you just provide that long-term place, that short-term place? Lord, we thank you for this place. We thank you that we're able to meet and gather and worship and study your word in person. Thank you, Jesus. But Lord, we just do submit um, our plans to you. We trust that you will direct our steps. And we ask for clarity uh, on these two services, God. Please provide the leaders for kids, for hospitality. Please provide just, uh, you know, the needs that we have with everything that goes into that. We just trust you, Lord. And we just invite you to, into this place to speak to our hearts, to transform us in your name. Amen. Let's just stand and uh, sing to the Lord.